Bird's Eye View is brought to you by BeMoreAroundTown.com. If you're looking to attend an Orioles event, whether it be opening day or a hashtag orange road trip, BeMoreAroundTown.com has to be your first stop. Packages include tickets to the game of your choice, along with an epic pregame party that includes food and an open bar. It's the perfect package for any Orioles fan and takes care of all the stress and planning so you can focus on cheering on the Orioles. Head on over to BeMoreAroundTown.com or click the banner at the top of our site to book your next event around Baltimore. Watching the Orioles, watching the Orioles. Watching the Orioles, watching the Orioles. And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this is your official podcast for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is March 30th, 2015. I am Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, Jake English. You can find us over at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com, or you can also check us out at baltimoresportsreport.com. You should be checking out their daily podcast there called Baltimore Sports Today. And uh, we've got a new member over there, too, uh, Red Shell Radio. Um, welcome, boys. Thanks for coming in. Um, tough way to end the season, but we appreciate you coming on board. Um, all the third-party apps that you should be checking out to follow us should be Stitcher, Miro, Double Twist, and I guess that Apple product called iTunes. Social media, you should be following us on Facebook at BEVCast. Uh, you can just search for us at Bird's Eye View, and we'll pop right up with our handy-fandy uh, logo from uh, OBP Apparel. But you really should be following us on Twitter at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. Jake, let's get to the important stuff. What's your drink of the week? My drink of the week this week is a Snake Dog IPA from Flying Dog. Can I tell you what I saw on the Twitters today that I'm really excited about, though? Go ahead. Heavy Seas coming out with a double cannon. Mm. Very excited to see what that's like. That'll be interesting. That may be an upcoming drink of the week. A hop explosion. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, Jake, I'm going with a simple gin and tonic. Tanqueray with uh, regular tonic water with a hint of lime juice. I like it. I like what I'm seeing. Jake, I think it's time we go ahead and go into the medical wing. I like it. So there's a little bit going on, is there not? Uh, there's a lot going on, unfortunately. Uh, J.J. Hardy uh, collided with Jonathan Scope on uh, the 27th and was removed from the game, probably from you know just the abundance of caution, be like, oh, we can't get you injured. Uh, he wanted to stay in the game. Um, he woke up the next morning and said, man, it really hurts. I mean, who would expect that from a 30-year-old individual? Um, and then the MRA came back today and, um, see the MRI, you're fine. The MRA comes out whenever you start start injecting dye into people, I guess that's not a good sign. Um, but JJ Hardy will start the season on the DL eligible come back on April 11th, but won't. Yeah. Yeah. The the thing is, look, JJ Hardy has had his, his share of woes with health in the past. And, um, I was a huge fan of the J.J. Hardy signing. I still think that that was a good contract to give out. Uh, but this is one of those things where when you give uh, players above 30, particularly middle infielders that get a lot of use, um, a big contract, these are the kind of things you're going to have to deal with. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with you. It's just it's unfortunate that it happened at the very beginning of the season. But more likely than not, this was going to happen periodically throughout the season. Is it my imagination, or do a lot of these injuries happen on Mondays, and then we have to go podcast that night and talk about it? Both both Machado injuries, now this one, 
I think we got to switch to another night or something. Mm, I don't think that's the case because ever since we started podcasting on Monday nights, the Orioles have been a plus 500 team. You win. Yes, thank you. Um, speaking of other individuals that have injuries, uh, David Lowe, back spasms and hamstring issues. Again, a situation where people should not be bending over to pick up things. Terrible advice. Um, we'll start the season on the DL, according to all the beat writers. That's got to be good from a roster standpoint. I think he would have been a roster casualty. This keeps him in the club, and maybe when he's ready to come back, there's another roster crunch that allows him to get back on. Yeah, I'm not sure if he would have been a roster casualty, but it would have made a much more difficult decision for the Orioles, whether they would have kept like a Jimmy Paredes over a David Lowe. Um, this allows the Orioles to get a little deeper into the season, let everyone else establish their rosters, and uh, will that allow them to basically try to get Paredes through into norfolk again sneaky sneaky and then the final part of the medical wing that we wanted to touch on was tooth hurdy jake you want to take this one yeah what's with what's with all the teeth no seriously uh jonathan scope had his wisdom teeth removed which is awful by the way yeah. his wisdom teeth removed and then in the same week went back and played a baseball game i think he came back the next day by the not the next day but the day after that he can you imagine that must have had much better drugs than i did because yeah. i had my wisdom teeth pulled in as an adult and it was awful uh, also, Darren O'Day had a root canal. Uh, I don't know what's going on with the uh, with the Orioles' dental care uh, plan provider, but I think they might need a new one. Yeah. Uh, with that, Jake, let's go over and cover everything else that happened this week on the Twitter. First and foremost on the Twitter, we have to just pay tribute to a national treasure, and I know how big a fan you are of this. Oh, baby. The Los Angeles Dodgers who tweet at Dodgers tweeted out, it's time for Vin Scully's 66th season. Woo! And it, and it has a uh, picture that says, hi, everybody, and a very pleasant Friday evening to you, wherever you may be. It's going to be nice to hear that melodious sound once again. Uh, this comes into the go read this category. This comes from our good friend Jeff Long. You can follow him at BSL Jeff Long. My season preview for the Orioles is up on Baseball Pro. Um I mean, the link is to Baseball Prospectus. Think of it as a condensed version of my annual essay, which I highly recommend going and buying the book and reading it in the annual edition of Baseball Prospectus. Jeff does an amazing job, and, um, well, he's a talented guy. That's all I'm going to say. Look, if we're going to get all sausage fest about this, can we at least talk about dongs? Let's talk about dongs. 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 Uh, dongs. I'm sorry, dongs. you're not allowed to use that vocabulary anymore. Uh, this actually comes from Elithia Ritherite. Um, she actually is a correspondent for Masson, and she tweets, you can't make me. And this is in regards to a report from Deadspin that says, updated AP style book says to stop using dingers and jacks to mean home runs. No more fun with baseball. None. No more fun. Well, it's a good thing we're not part of the Associated Press. <laughs> you mean when you write up a blog post at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com, you don't uh, consult the AP style book? There's a style book? Oh, that's like that thing back in college where it's like the Chicago bibliography where I can do footnotes, right? Yeah. If your table is wobbly, that's what it's the best for. Cody, we'll show you what that is at a later point, okay? Next, I want to talk about a little war and peace. Mm. And here I'm talking about labor, war Ooh. and peace. The big news is about Chris Bryant of the Cubs. Uh, great point was made today on MLB Network Radio, um, the afternoon show, uh, I think it was Inside Pitch. And, uh, uh, Casey Stern was talking about the fact that there is no uh, commodity or or organization or business in which you will trade uh, 
a, a year for nine days, or rather wouldn't trade nine days for an entire year. This is a big overblown story, frankly, because there's nothing else going on in the world of baseball. Um, but I thought here was an interesting take from Ken Rosenthal, who tweets at Ken underscore Rosenthal. The biggest takeaway from the statement by the union is that there is growing tension between the two sides on this and other issues. Now, the CBA, does the CBA end after the 2016 season or before the 2016 season? I don't remember which it is. Um, let me take a look at that. I believe it's after uh, following the 2016 season is what it is. Okay, but there is an upcoming uh, CBA to be determined, and it's something we haven't had to deal with a, a lot. And this is going to be a challenge for uh, Rob Manfred because, at least, at the very least, you could say during the administration of the previous commissioner, you had labor peace. Well, it's actually really there's a great article about this on Fangrass. It's called "The MLB Players Association Has a Problem." Um, it's written by Nathaniel Grow. I highly recommend everyone go over to Fangrass. But actually, there's some great breakouts of Major League Baseball player player role as a share of total league revenue since 2000. And in 2000, player revenue was right about a 50% split between the owners and the players. Now it's all the way down to 38%. That 12% is going to be huge in the next coming few years. And um, it's going to be interesting to see whether the owners are willing to move some of that money back into the players. It's really interesting. Another thing, and I didn't list this on the twat this week, but another thing I saw on Twitter was actually from Craig Calcaterra, and he was uh, making distinctions between the way baseball and football handles this. Football, he noted, has a very you know set uh, percentage that the players take, but he says that they treat their players like cattle or machinery, whereas you don't necessarily get that in Major League Baseball, the minor league, you're sure, yeah. uh, because in Major League Baseball you have the, uh, the uh, guaranteed contracts and things of that nature. So it is an interesting trade-off where, you know, what you get versus what you don't get. I think it'll be very interesting to see how this is negotiated, especially because I want to say it was Calcaterra, but I'm not sure, noted that we may be in the middle of what is a television rights bubble. Yeah. And if that bursts, what happens to the money that's you know being filtered into the owners now? Will that be there if they make a really good deal with the with the uh, players? So you know, definitely a lot of issues that I, I think that myself as a fan – I don't even have a full full grasp on. Um, so as easy as it is for me to throw stones and call them all idiots and, and greedy, I think there are a lot of issues. It's a difficult conversation, but um, it's definitely something that the Players Association is going to need to address, especially the minor league element and about how minor league players have been treated for, from a benefit standpoint, but also from a salary standpoint. Um, I don't think we need to start addressing you know some of the super contracts that are out there. I think we need to start addressing some of the low-tier players and also some of these arbitration years and getting some of that money back into the players' hands that are the majority of the players in Major League Baseball. But let's not do this to ourselves. Let's, let's, not, let's let, not have a logical conversation? No. Let's put this into perspective. Okay. And when I, when I need perspective, All I right. immediately go to the Suspetas family barbecue. Oh, yeah. Who they're, tweet, they're logical people. Who tweet at Suspetas BBQ. They tweeted out uh, today, I believe. They, no, not today. No, it, was, it was yesterday, but that's okay. <laughs> you're, you're hoping it was today because it's today in terms of, for the Orioles, it's yesterday oh. in terms of all Major League Baseball. Six or seven more drinks of the week and I'll yes. be fine. They tweeted out yesterday, there is baseball in a week, people. Can I get an amen? Amen. Well, with that, Jake, I think we should uh, get a little bit more serious and um, pull somebody in that has... Um, you know, probably some of those AP credentials, basically, that probably is not using things like dongs and dingers and all that kind of jazz. Do we have to?
Pete Gilbert covers sports for WBAL, both on the television and radio side of sports coverage. His insights on the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps, and so much more are at stake here because Pete sullies his good name in joining us here at Bird's Eye View. Pete Gilbert, thanks so much. Sully, you kidding me? Well. Happy to be a part. <laughs> Just keep listening, you'll see. First, first of all, we uh, we can't record this podcast without a little bit of lubrication. Every week we go through what is our drink of the week, what is our uh, drinking responsibly of the week. Do you have anything that you're really excited about this week? Uh, right now I am drinking a Porch Swing Single Ale uh, from the new Belgium Brewing Company. There you go. All right, this is where to go. And, it and it's fine. It, it's just fine. <laughs> this is going. It's a good start. Very good, good start. start. Yes, uh, Pete. You and I met uh, in the press box on a night which turned out to be clinchmas. Uh, we we got in there on a random date, and it turned out to be just uh, uh, amazing. I was curious uh, how that that night stacked up with some of your other maybe famous uh, or favorite Oriole memories. Uh, where does that rank for you? Man, it's up there uh, to see a team win the AL East. That again, when I you go back before 2012, I mean, I, the thought of winning that division just seems so remote. It, it like me going to Jupiter. I mean, just not possible. So you know, to, to, to not only to have that night where you would do it, but to do it with it's about three weeks left in the season, to have done it that far in advance to win, you know, ultimately 96 games in a regular season. I mean, just. It was as, a, as somebody who grew up an Oriole fan to see them fall to the bottom and then come back to the top like that. Uh, it was very special, and to to watch the city rally around them and to watch the team so greatly appreciated to see what it meant to Adam Jones to grab that flag and wave it with the fans out in center field and take his lap, have his cow moment going around the stadium. Uh, very special. So I mean, I mean, it's real high. My favorite will remain, uh, I can't imagine that will be the 2012 wild card win uh, in Texas to be in that clubhouse for the first champagne celebration in 15 years. And the first time I'd ever been in one. And to be interviewing Chris Davis and for him to stop and mid-answer, grab a bottle of champagne and dump it on my head was pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was, uh, so, but Clinch Miss was was right up there. Let me stop and ask you real quick about the 2012 wildcard game because I have a very vivid memory of pacing a hole in the floor. <laughs> and and when I look back on that game, it ended up, what, 5-1? Is that right? 5-2, I five believe two. it was. But what the Rangers five? were threatening in that last inning, which was like, oh, my gosh, the Orioles are going to blow it like they've done in the past. Right. And, but even know. before that inning, like, I was a nervous wreck even as the Orioles were ahead. How in the world did you manage professional decorum in, in a press situation with all of that going on? Fortunately, years of practice um, <laughs> at being a friend, just stifling uh, you know, those, those kinds of things. You just, you know, you know that you can't, because here's my, my very first time having a press pass was in 1996. Um, and I'm sorry, 1995 and the, towards the end of the Orioles season and going to a game and in the bottom of the first, Brady Anderson hits a home run. I stood up and started clapping. <laughs> oh, just, you know, it, I, that was just my instinct took over. And I'll never forget the hand that came onto my shoulder from one of the ushers. And it said to me, excuse me, sir, there is no cheering in the press box. If you do that again, we'll have to ask you to leave. So from my internship on, I, you know, that really stuck 
you know, uh, stuck with me pretty well. So yeah, it's, it, my natural instinct now is to hold all of that stuff in. Um, so that was able to do that pretty well. I have to call BS because I think for the 14 years, the Orioles were terrible. I don't think you were very well practiced at holding back (laughs) celebration. Well, for other things, you remember there, there are other, it wasn't just the Orioles I grew up caring about. It would be the the Maryland Terrapins. Uh, it would, you know, uh, getting to know the Ravens and the Ravens are everyone. Oh, you're a big Ravens fan. I'm like, no, because when they came here, it it was right when I left. And went That's out true. and really began my career, and it, you know, which hadn't started in Missoula, Montana, and then to Fayetteville, Arkansas. So the the Ravens weren't, you know, are not a you know a team that I grew up caring about. And then for the first, let's see, I came back in '04, so mm-hmm. I missed the first seven mm-hmm. years of their of their seasons. And, and my dad's a big fan, and, and so I enjoy that with him and my knowledge that I'll have with the team and going and seeing all the behind the scenes, and be able to tell them kind of what's really going on. Um, but that's not a team that I have a personal attachment to from my childhood like I do with the Terps or with the Orioles. Pete, you've been here for, you know, so long, you know, growing up in this area, but also coming back and, you know, being in, in sports journalism and in covering the Orioles, um, who's your all time favorite Oriole to cover? And, you know, right now on the squad, um, who's your favorite Oriole to right now talk to and do an interview with? Uh, I think my favorite Oriole, is Miguel Gonzalez, and I, because of the story that he has of just being on the absolute scrap heap, you know, I mean, just you know, pitching in the Mexican league, hoping for some sort of chance, and then to to find it and to have, you know, to have Nick Aidenhart's glove on his, you know, to get his first win out in uh, facing the Angels, the team Aidenhart played for. He was close friend with Aidenhart, and of course, you know, was killed in the car crash, and they were, you know, they were good friends. That. Um, and to, to meet him, to see, is just this delightful human being who is so appreciative of his opportunities and has worked so hard and what it means to him to now actually have a spot on the roster and not, and not go through an offseason knowing he has to play relentlessly, that he can actually just work on staying in shape and also resting his arm. Um, to see that, that what it means to him, that is meant, uh, it's just been, and he's just been so gracious and always so accommodating. I just, we have a lot of conversations, not about baseball in the clubhouse and it's about family and he's a pretty new dad. And he has, uh, I don't think his son's are yet a year old. Um, so Miguel Gonzalez, you know, it's been just a real treat to get to know and see what he, and see what he's like. I, I mean, though this clubhouse right now, there's not a guy in there that you don't really want to go talk to. Uh, outside, well, Delman Young's up there. Um, <laughs> Delman's that's not fair. the friendliest guy. Yeah. But that's about it. That's about it. Well, the one person that really has reshaped this clubhouse, and I think you know who I'm going to talk about, is Buck Showalter. Buck Showalter has done an immense job of changing the culture of the Baltimore Orioles. And, and there's one thing that me and Jake really love, and I think everyone has one, and it's a Buckism. And when Buck gets in front of those press conferences, he's got a certain story or you know something that he wants to talk about that is completely off topic in a certain regard, but somehow you know tangentially on topic as well. So, Pete, we've got to ask you, what is your favorite Buckism or Buck moment? My favorite Buck moment was before the first uh, game one of the 2012 postseason uh, in the against the Yankees at, at Oriole Park, and they're you know it's an hour from first pitch, and we're on the field uh, talking to him, and, and he's wanting to talk uh, about Monday Night Football. And and what the line was in the game, and I, I think the Jets were playing, and he thought that their Rex was full of crap. Um, then I'm like, here you are, an hour away from facing the Yankees, and he's 
you know, that was that was the way he was at that moment. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe this guy. He just that that, that was where his mind. He's like, I've done all that I need to do, and you know, we're we're ready to go. And it, it was a that was a very cool moment to see him. Just like, look, this is just baseball, you know, and, and it's we're not saving lives out here. It's a big moment, but it's not. Let's not. Let's keep it in perspective a little bit. So that was pretty cool. But just about any time you go to a any of his pregame press conferences, you will learn something about baseball and you will laugh. And uh, that I, you know, what more can you ask for? But I, I'll give you one other before um, I was just thinking up too. After in in Detroit when they clinched the sweep in this in this past playoff. I asked him what it meant to him to finally have a professional uh, series win as a manager. And he said to me, what, Albany doesn't count? Yeah, I remember that question, yeah. <laughs> and I, I couldn't believe it again, because you know, he didn't want to talk about himself. And he, he was trying to downplay the whole situation, the fact that he had finally, you know, one of the best managers in baseball had finally won a postseason series. All right, Jake, you want to take the next question? Uh, if I must, yeah. uh, we've talked endlessly because spring training is just a, a dead zone uh, in some years, but we've talked endlessly about the struggles and then the, the good times of Ubaldo Jimenez. We've talked about the health of Matt Weeders. I, I'd like to ask you, what is an important storyline from Orioles camp this spring training that maybe isn't getting enough attention or we aren't talking enough about? Uh, well, replacing Nick Marquez in the clubhouse. Um, I think is significant because if there's one person that Adam Jones went to for counsel, it was Nick. And I mean, Adam is certainly the vocal leader of this team, and uh, and and the, the guys look up to him. But he needed Nick was the quiet, the, the grand master, if you will, of that you know that clubhouse. So not having him there, who kind of steps up? And it, when they have their issues, when they go through a, a bad slump or or some incident takes place that that demands leadership. Um, how well will they handle that absence? And because uh, the team, the, the the clubhouse is is pissed off that Nick's not there. They're surprised and they and they're not happy about it. Um, they'll get over it. You know, I mean, it's it, it's professional baseball. Those things happen, but they didn't like it. And uh, so that's going to take a little a little time to to kind of develop and see what the clubhouse is like without him. All the success has happened with him there at the helm you know, over these three years uh, in terms of leadership. So that's a, that's something to keep an eye on uh, for certain. Also, you know, J.J. Hardy just got a nice um, significant contract. Is he going to be able to be healthy enough to make good on that? And again, you know, to make it seem clear that it's okay to spend money on some players. That is, that at times you wondered if that's, if the club's truly willing to do that, you know, when, because uh, the states say thus far what has happened with Mr. Jimenez has not made uh, Mr. Angelos more likely to want to go out and spend money on a starting pitcher well you talked about jj hardy and, and you let us right into our next question look orioles fans we are really good at one thing and that is freaking out irrationally <laughs> so today we heard that uh you know the mra came back in and they found that the jj hardy was going to have to start out the season on the dl you know he's a guy that's on the upper side of 30 a middle infielder signed to a you know kind of a big contract for Orioles fans, how much should we be freaking out? Like, is this DEFCON 1, or what? what's going on? We're asking you to talk us off the ledge at this moment. Well, the ledge, is, it's, it's really pretty easy to give you the path to walk away from the ledge, and it's just look at last year. What yep. did they do when people were hurt? They still won. 
It didn't seem to matter who got hurt or when they got hurt or what happened. They still found ways to win. And look, unless Buck Showalter gets hurt, they'll be fine. Um, of that, I'm convinced. As long as he is at the helm, they'll find a way to compete and, and be good. Um, and so, I don't, you know, I mean, Hardy's going to be, he's going to have his ups and downs physically. That's just, that's just at this point, who he is as a, as a professional ball player. Um, but what they've been doing is nice. They, they've been developing depth throughout the system. And, you know, and maybe this is finally the impetus then that gets uh, Manny Machado over to shortstop where he wants to play. And it, by the way, Manny, this spring has looked better physically than at any point in his career. To watch him move, to watch him steal a base, to watch him make the plays at third again still, and the arm remains just that, that rocket that is the envy of anybody. Um, so, I mean, I, I think there's plenty of bright sides to look, you know, and just they'll find a way uh, to make it work regardless. All right, I want to talk about the other birds in town, and that's the Ravens. You know, since the Ravens won the Super Bowl in 2000, it's felt like the Orioles have become like an ugly stepsister in Baltimore to a certain regard. That doesn't help with the fact that they had a, uh, you know, several losing seasons there from 1998 up through to the, up until the 2012 season. Um, but that's started to change since 2012 with the Orioles now winning. Um, and there's been a resurgence in terms of Orioles fans in the city coming back again to the ballpark. Is it possible the Orioles will ever be held in that same accord in Baltimore um, prior to the Ravens coming in? Or is this another example of the MNFL dominance over Major League Baseball? It's a, it's an interesting dynamic to watch these two franchises work together. You know, I, I know the fans. I mean, just virtually everybody who is an Orioles fan is a Ravens fan, and vice versa. So you you want to see the two franchises work well together. You know, in terms of promoting one another, and I think they do. There are at times issues, and you go back to you know the, the Ravens opening on the road after their Super Bowl win, when I felt like they didn't get the help that they wanted from the Orioles. Although I thought the Orioles were in the right in that regard. Um, and the NFL could have made a could have made things work for the Ravens to open the season at home just because it played on Wednesday instead of Thursday, but that's a whole other issue. Um, as far as the pecking order is concerned, I, I I still just think because this team has been here since 1954 that at its core, this is a baseball town that really really loves football too. Um, and you, know, you had that 13 year absence where you didn't have the NFL here, and I still still think that that. You know, as in some ways led, you know, just for the the real core of this of this city of this community, and has left a hole that will never quite one hundred percent be filled uh, relative to because baseball's always been there. Through even in the time of God, it was awful. You had baseball here, and um, so that was, you know, I still think it's a baseball town. And despite the fact that the the Goliath that the NFL has become, just this monster that's you know twenty four seven that every little thing that happens is a big deal. Uh, in Baltimore, the passion, I, and, I, and I gauge that, I guess, mostly like, you know, when I host Sportsline occasionally, which I am doing uh, on Friday, by the way, just for anyone must tune in WBIL on Friday from 6 to 9. Um, hang, hang on, hang on, I'm tuning my dial now. And it's set. There you go. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Reset that. There you go. Um, you know, I judge it by the calls and, and the passion of the callers. You know, you, nothing gets dander up, good or bad. Uh, like the Orioles, we have relatives, even you know, compared to the Ravens at their most, you know, getting ready for a playoff game. And so I, that's kind of where I get a, a sense and a feel from it. And the most, the greatest passion seems to still come when discussing the black and orange. 
Well, you know, we, we talk about the, the history of the Orioles being here since 1954. WBL has been the flagship station for the majority of the franchise history here in Baltimore. Uh, it's had occasional flirtations with a, another station, and that's that's currently uh, what's going on now. I'm curious, uh, from from the aspect of covering the team, uh, how is it different covering the team uh, as being a part of the flagship station rather than not? The only difference was that when – BAL has the Orioles. There's a pregame show uh, that you had to account for, and sometimes I would fill in for and do that. It was just it was just a tight, you know, just mandated thing. There was never any. I never heard one word from WBAL or from the Orioles, and it's the same with the Ravens. No one has ever said to me, "Here's how we'd like you to handle something. Here's what we would like you to do. Here's what we'd like you to look at um, from this perspective." Or don't bring up that because we won't, don't want to talk about that. No one has said it. I haven't done it. So in that regard, I don't see any difference other than that now we don't have mandated programming when it comes to the Orioles. So that's the only difference for me. And I, and I don't know that it's been like that for everybody. I can't swear that it has. But um, every time when it's come to it, I have not had – there's been no difference. There, and, you know, it's funny. It's a joke and to me. I hear the you know, Orioles – or it used to be now, you know, Ravens uncensored or that. I'm like, there, there's no censorship right. at all. It was a – that was just a you know a, a campaign ploy, but uh, it's just that's not the case, and I've been uh, thankful for it. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, this is just one fan's opinion, but I think both you and Mister Hollander are uh, are excellent part of the uh, Orioles coverage, and I really wish that uh, the, I could hear you guys and then the uh, the ball game right afterward. But that's that's just my opinion. No, I appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, you know, it, it means a lot. And, and the reason I think you, is it's just because the, the passion that we have for it. And God, nobody, you know, any, cares more about Baltimore sports, I think, than Brett Hollander. I mean, he's, he, he, he worries at nights if, if, <laughs> if he feels that the Ravens and Orioles aren't getting along well enough. I mean, it's, it, and that's the honest to God's truth. It, it's, and it's a passion that, that comes through. And that's what, you know, so people can relate to that. And that's what we hope, you know, comes across. It's a disease, and we all have it. Believe me, I understand. <laughs> Speaking of diseases, uh, look, this is the most important question that you're going to get tonight, and we're going to and we're going to close it on this. But I need you to just take a deep breath and collect yourself because this is the hard hitting question. All right, uh, just a big sip there. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Pete Gilbert, Beatles or Rolling Stones? Rolling Stones. Oh, this interview is over. Thank you so much. <laughs> it was so nice talking to you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Look, it's That's not the, the hard-hitting question. It's not the, the easiest. Oh, the easiest. There you go. If you think there's a more important question than, than Beatles or Stones, then we're going to have to have words. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think it's much of a debate. Oh, my goodness. This is a totally different territory. Look, I don't. And you I, thought you guys were good friends on that punch oh, this night. Man. That's, <laughs> this, is, I'm, this is, I'm emotionally damaged Jake, right now. I'm going to get you some napkins. Uh, you can clear your tears and. Well, Go ahead. You're younger. There's, there'll be a chance for you to to grow and mature <laughs> uh, with your thought processes, and that's fine. That's what that's what development and growth is all about. Pete, the, Pete, there's plenty of time for me to settle, but I'm not, I'm just not willing to do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Pete, Pete, Pete Gilbert, though he may have poor taste in music, uh, is part of the WBAL coverage of the Orioles, the Ravens. We encourage you wholeheartedly to make sure you check him out on weekends on TV. Make sure you check him out when he is filling in on sports night on friday and throughout the regular season and make sure if you see him at the yard you say hey pete gilbert thanks so much my pleasure guys anytime thanks for having me I'm only one, but not a new.
broken the singing barrier again it's getting a little dusty in here scott that song well it brings back memories it brings back memories of dare i say it one moment in time masson played the 2131 game on saturday night and so many things became clear to me as i rewatched it first of all how lucky are we to have lived in a time when baltimore's native son was the ball player that we all looked up to and now he wasn't a perfect man, and for that you should just ask Greg Zahn. But the night was special as much because of the man as it was because of the numbers. But the numbers were certainly important. Very important. Um, you know, the numbers got us to thinking. One of the most poignant moments of the evening involved Coward Consignor, and that was a magical moment, a human moment, a one we can all relate to, especially you know, dads that we are, um, you know, having that moment of watching your son accomplish something. And that sense of pride, you know, Cal Ripken Sr. wasn't just an important figure in Cal's life. He was an instrumental in bringing a generation of ballplayers along in what would become known as the Oriole way. He was significant to the ball club, so much so that when he passed in 1999, the team wore a sleeve patch to honor him with his number seven since his death. The team has not issued a player that number. So let me ask you, why? Why hasn't the team officially retired number seven? What's the holdup? What threshold of significance uh, for contributors to the team has Cowardipkin Sr. not reached? It's a good question. Um, okay, let's go into the Orioles Hall of Fame. And there's a simple situation here where the people that are having their numbers retired are strictly having them retired because they are in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Okay, and I get that. If if the if the threshold is that and it is written, nobody gets their numbers retired for the Orioles unless they are baseball Hall of Famers. Sure. I can understand that. I mean, I think it gets into a similar situation when Flanagan passed away. Um, a lot of people called for his number to yeah. be immediately retired. And I was of the opinion, I was like, you know, I understand, but I'm not sure that it's appropriate to basically retire Flanagan's number at this time because you're putting them in, in the same league as some of those great players. And Flanagan was a good player. There was no doubt about it, but he was an above-average player. He wasn't, in my opinion, a Hall of Fame player. And, you know, we mocked openly the New York Yankees when they retired their 7 billionth number. Um, They retire numbers of guys that are significant to their ball club for a specific period of time. And Bernie Williams is a great player. I don't want to take anything away from Bernie Williams. But his number is now retired by the New York Yankees. Right. The New York Yankees... Gehrig, DiMaggio, Babe Ruth, and Bernie Williams? Yeah. I mean, come on. Paul O'Neill is there, too. Right. So, <laughs> I, mean, so I, I, I understand that having your number retired by a club is, is a very special, prestigious award. It's a, it's a you know, recognition. But if anybody you know, outside of the Hall of Famers deserves it, I think that it's Cal Ripken. I do appreciate the fact that there's the moratorium yeah. on number seven. Um, 
apparently this year there's a moratorium on number 21. There you go. You know, yeah. Buck wasn't going to give that out to any other player. I thought it was interesting that after B Rob B Rob left, left, yeah, they gave num- it right away. Number one was right away. Yeah. Alexi Casilla was Alexi Casilla. I believe it was Alexi Casilla. Yeah, I thought that was a little too soon in in my view. I don't know what the appropriate yeah. mourning time for for the Brian Roberts watch was, but I was surprised that that happened with twenty one. It didn't happen with one. Yeah, I, I can understand that to a to a certain regard. Now, number seven is not the only number with a moratorium on it. Correct. Yeah, I would say number 44 held by Elrod Hendricks has probably been on moratorium for quite some time now, too. There's certainly other numbers that have not been commonly used, but I think 44 is kind of one of those ones that's like, yeah, you're going to really have to justify why you're going to get that number. What I would really like to see is, you know, there are some players that, you know, when they go to a new club, they get special treatment. I mean, here in Baltimore, it was Vladimir Guerrero comes and suddenly the facial hair policy is gone. Yeah. What happens if a very prestigious number seven or a very prestigious number 44 gets traded to the Baltimore Orioles or signs yeah. with the Baltimore Orioles. I think that'll be the real test. Now, during the dark period, the Orioles didn't have any good players, so they didn't need to worry about that. Um, you know, and, and also, you know, Miguel Tejada wore four in Oakland, so when he came over, obviously he had to change his number to something else. But I think that'll be an interesting test. How long do these numbers stay in moratorium? Maybe. Maybe it's an unofficial retirement, and you yeah. know, it's just something that hasn't been announced. But I was really struck during the 21-31 celebration, that as much as the Orioles worked in 2012 to reach back to earlier times, to make a connection to previous Oriole generations, that they didn't find a way to recognize more the efforts of Cal Ripken Sr. Yeah, especially that whole minor league growth and everything. So definitely interesting. Um, but I guess if you're going to be focusing on you know 60 years, you're focusing on what the big league club is doing. And as much as Cal senior was a part of the big league club, you really can see his roots more so in the minor league foundation. Yeah. And, and I think that in, in players, in coaches that then became part of player development elsewhere, you can kind of see, you know, in the NFL, how you have coaching trees sure. that kind of go across league wide. I think that you can see the influence of guys like Cal Ripken senior in other organizations, you right. know, and that eventually that, that makes its way to, to elsewise. And, you know, we call it the Oriole way, but it really then became the tradition of other ball clubs as well. Yeah. You know, Jake, the question always gets raised is, is it possible that there is an Oriole or another Oriole that could have their number retired? And is there one that you can think of off the top of your head? Well, I don't, I mean, looking at the present club, I don't think that there's anybody that's going to be an, a major league baseball hall of famer. Yeah. I, I don't see it either. Adam Jones and Manny Machado are definitely, um, top players um, but i don't consider them to be hall of fame players they're in the hall of very very good yeah this goes back to a conversation you and i had this uh discussion a couple weeks ago mlb network radio um had a discussion as to uh who they would build a franchise around and apparently an unnamed national league executive said adam jones and that's uh, basically an excuse for somebody to, to make something up but, uh, you know, we talked about it. Adam Jones is a great player, but sure, he's not a Mike Trout that you want to build your organization around. Right. I get that. Adam Jones, I love. I love that he's here. I love rooting for him. He seems like a great guy, but he's not a Hall of Famer. No. It's, and it's not even a situation where you would build an entire franchise around him. He's a very good player. He's the best player on the Orioles, in all honesty, but he's not a Hall of Fame player. And Manny Machado, again. I love the player. Love the player, but again, hasn't demonstrated the ability to be a Hall of Fame player. And even if you look at Ripken over the past first three years of his career, they blow Manny Machado's out of the water, in my opinion. So, but we're hype machines. 
We you are. know, we make the these players into demigods before they prove anything. Well, look at Weeders. Look at Machado. I think we also want to be part of something special at that time. It's one of those things of you don't want to be like, oh, I remember so-and-so from back in the day. You want to be able to experience and say, I was there when that, that player is a Hall of Famer. He's a superstar and stuff like that. I think we like to put ourselves into those times in history. That's a really good point. Trying to be part of greatness by yeah. elevating these guys. No, that that's a really good point. So, I mean, my answer is no. I don't think there's anybody on the Orioles club that is going to be a Hall of Famer. I mean, you don't, there's nobody else I missed, right? No. Well, let's go into this. Is there any honor that could be given to a, a like a person like Howard Consigno or even an Elrod Hendricks um, that the team can provide other than retiring numbers? I know that there's a plaque inside the Orioles dugout for Howard Consigno, and I know there's a plaque out in the bullpen for Elrod Hendricks. Is there anything else that you would do? I don't know. I mean, the, the club has the the Orioles Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. and I kind of feel like that's a joke. Oh, yeah. I, I feel I mean, like they let anybody in. Yeah. And, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I feel like, to a certain degree, that's kind of what the Yankees are doing with their retirement of numbers. You know, recognizing Jorge Posada as, as a, you know, number retired guy I think is silly. But a monument out in Monument Park, not a problem because, again, they open it to everybody. Right. What should the Orioles be doing? I really think that they need to do something that gives a presence to that player in something, whether it be a section of the ballpark, like, you know, the rooftop deck bar, maybe that gets named after somebody or the picnic area where they do charity events for kids or, you know, something, uh, some part of the ballpark that then becomes, you know, not a shrine, but a little remembrance of that player. Maybe it's going out and, you know, starting youth fields out, you know, kind of the way they did with the, the 33rd Street site. And naming it after a, you know, a player or a contributor to the team in some fashion. I don't know. I don't know what else you do. I don't know if there's really anything I would really change. I think the Orioles have done a great job to this point doing it. And I don't think the Orioles should change from this aspect of we're not going to you know, say, oh, we're going to bring Ripken Sr. in and we're going to bring Elrod Hendricks in. I like the unwritten rule of you could get that number, but you have to show us that you deserve that number. So you think it adds to the mystique? I do. I like it. Okay. So you're saying I'm complaining over nothing as usual? Mm, I, I think it's a good conversation piece. <laughs> but there's one thing that you failed to mention from the 21-31 game. Oh, please. And there has to be, because again, it comes back to outfits. Jake, the ushers need to go back to those old-timey outfits with the orange caps and the suspenders and the striped shirts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I don't think we can argue about that. So, um, Oh, oh! You, you brought up clothing. Yeah, you opened uh, Pandora's sorry. box. Yeah, go ahead. You you can finalize this out. I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. <laughs> Had an interesting discussion on Twitter with somebody about the difference between then and now as far as the fans. If you watch that twenty one thirty one game, no orange, no orange, stadium. no uniforms either. Like people yeah. wearing jerseys and stands or anything yeah, like, like that. Yeah, like maybe t shirts, but they're like a white. You know, like sure. the kind of t shirt you can now get at like Giant. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that was the. Vo- I, I don't know what the change was. I mean, maybe MLB got better with its marketing for think, its own stuff. I think that's stuff. really what it is. I think it kind of, there was that change. I think you really only saw, saw jerseys in terms of like NBA and um, NFL. I remember as a kid, I had an NBA jersey, but I can't remember we were having an MLB jersey. So I think MLB started to really market that heavily. But Scott, I don't understand. Uh, baseball's dying. Yeah, okay. <laughs> one, one last thing. You're a numbers guy. Yeah. I'm a uniforms guy. Yeah. This is the perfect marriage. It is. Um, I really miss the numerology 
website. Okay, yeah. It's a, it's a website that's out there. Uh, we'll put the, the link in the show notes. But this is a, a website. It hasn't been updated since about 2011. But uh, this guy went through and painstakingly listed every player from 1954 to, again, I think it was 2011 when he stopped, every player to wear each number. Uh, it's a really great reference. I go there all the time to look at, at stuff like that because I'm a big dork. This is for the Orioles? Yeah, no, specifically for the Orioles. Okay, yeah. you realize that Baseball Reference does that too. Yeah, Baseball Reference might do it, but it's it's the personal stories. It's the it's the fact that it's an Orioles uh, fan. Gotcha, gotcha. It's the personal stories. Yeah. Eh, I just want my data. I'm a I'm a blatant homer. Yeah. All right, blow the save. Absolutely. All right, Jake. I'm going to go into a story that I think needs to be uh, given some attention. Um, the Oakland Athletics are hosting their first ever. Uh, LGBT Pride Night in uh, July, actually June of this year. Uh, they're hosting it on June 17th. Um, there's been a lot of outcry in the Oakland area. A lot of season ticket holders are saying that, you know, they want to protest this game. They're holding the A's responsible for this game, and they basically are basically not happy with this situation. Well, this led to, um, well, this led to girlfriend of Sean Doolittle's named Irene Dolan going out on Twitter and basically saying that she was so upset by this that she basically said, I'm going to be willing to buy any ticket that anyone wants to sell so that I can basically donate them and have people come to this game. Um, Sean Doolittle's girlfriend uh, was raised by two moms who are diehard fans of baseball, and she's basically going to buy as many tickets as possible. I think this is a great thing for uh, a Major League Baseball team to do, go out there and hold um, one of these events. They're going to have um, a tribute to the life of Glenn Burke, who was the first Major League Baseball openly gay player. Going to have first pitch by the member of the Burke family. And proceeds will benefit Frameline and the AIDS Project East Bay. And I think this is just something that is a great idea for the Oakland area, but also they're doing it in combination with the Padres coming into town. So it's a good entire community event for Southern California. So congratulations to the athletics and also congratulations to Irene Dolan for going out of her way and you know supporting a cause for what she did. I think it's something that the Orioles should do, but probably will never do. <laughs> Here's the thing. Uh, whatever you want to say about the Oakland Athletics, uh, they show massive cojones uh, standing up for, for what's right. Yep. And, and frankly, I am so pleased that organizations like baseball clubs are getting into the, the, the business of standing up and making a stand about this issue. Here, here. Well, with that, Jake, we, I think we've uh, gone on our soapbox for the first time this season. That, was, that, that felt pretty good, actually. Yeah, we're, we're getting back in mid-season yeah, shape. It was to, spring training for everybody. Yeah, exactly. We're starting to get some contact back on that ball. So um, next week, we'll be back on the show. We may be doing it Sunday night for a live show. Keep posted on Twitter at BirdseyeViewBAL because you may be able to hear... All the errors and mistakes that we make via a live show. Yeah, it's occasionally not pretty. It's going to be pretty ugly, actually, especially when we're making our predictions like, uh, oh, I don't know, the Tampa Bay Rays winning the World Series in 2014. I don't Oof. even know who would say the thing yeah. like that. Well, with that, Jake, I think it's time we uh, bid our farewell and farewell. I have nothing else to say. Baltimore and beyond, I bid you a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. One week to go. Hang in there, boys.
It's over. Go home. Go.